Well, good morning, church family, and especially our children. We are so glad you're joining today. And your teachers who love you and miss you have a message for you this morning. Hey, Grace kids, we miss you. We can't wait to be back with you guys soon, and we hope that you're doing well. And just remember that Jesus loves you. Hey, Grace Fellowship kids. We miss you guys. We'll see you real soon. We miss you guys. We miss you. I miss you all, and I look forward to seeing you again. Hi, guys. Don't forget about your memory verses. They're very important. I miss reading books to my friends. God is good all the time. We hope to see you soon. Remember to be strong and courageous. We miss you. Thinking of you and love you. I miss all of you guys, and I'm praying for you, and I really hope to see you all soon. Just wanted to say that I miss seeing you every Sunday and blowing bubbles and singing worship songs together. We miss seeing your smiling faces on Sunday mornings and seeing how fast our nursery friends grow from week to week. Hi guys, we miss you so much. You're wonderful, smart, and fun kids. We're sending you hugs and blessings in the name of Jesus. We miss you and all those giggles and smiles you bring every Sunday. Hey, Grace Kids. We miss you. And hope to see you soon. I miss worshiping with you. We love you and we miss seeing you every week. Remember, fully fully rely on God every day. Hey, we miss you. What I miss about the Grace Kids is their energy and the fun that we have. We miss you guys so much at Sunday School. Can't wait to be back playing with our toys and coloring and most importantly learning about Jesus together. Really missing the excitement and energy the kids bring. We hope everybody's staying healthy. We're praying for you. We look forward to seeing you again soon. I miss our cuddles and our big rocking chairs. Hope you're having a good day today and that you're trusting in the Lord. Miss you guys. Hope to see you soon. We miss you so much. We love you. Hope to see you soon. We miss you so much, guys. Hope to see you soon. We're praying for you and your families. We love you and... God bless you. I miss you so much and I cannot wait to see you again. I can't wait to hear all of the adventures that you've had. And remember, he must become greater and we must become a little less so that we can remember that God loves us. Hey, trust in the Lord with all your heart. I miss you. I miss getting to play the marching game at the end of class. Hi Hi guys, we miss you and love you. Hi guys, we miss you. Remember, God is good. God made everything. And Jesus came to save sinners. Sending love and prayers to everybody. Hey guys, I sure do miss seeing all you guys. Hope to be back together really soon. Our God is an awesome God. Hope you're doing well. I miss you. We'll be back together soon, okay? All right. I hope you guys are doing well. I miss you guys. Tell God all the things that you're thankful for. I can't wait to meet together again, but until we do, be praying and reading those Bibles. Hi, Hi, Grace kids. We miss you and we love you. May the Lord be your strength and refuge in your time of need. Trust in the Lord. Pray every day. And read your Bibles. Hey, fourth and fifth graders, I sure miss you. And I want to make sure you remember that song we were singing, John 3.30. He must increase. We love you. Jesus loves you. Looking forward to when we're back together again. Look forward to seeing you. Read your Bibles. Hey, Grace Fellowship kids. I miss seeing you on Sundays. We love you. 
be strong and courageous. God is sovereign. He is in control of everything. I'm so sad we're not together. I miss your faces. I miss hearing about your stories and what you're doing. I miss you and I miss your hugs. We hope you are staying healthy and patient through this time and giving God all the praise and glory. Jesus loves you. And so do we. We love you guys and we miss you a lot. Can't wait to see your faces. Hi, fifth graders. I sure do miss seeing you all every week, but I did enjoy seeing some of you on the Grace Kids video that was shown on Easter Sunday. Love you guys. I'm praying for you. Hope you're having fun at home making things like me. Hey guys, praying for you. I want you to know that I'm not only am I thinking about you, but I am praying for you and I'm praying for your family and I hope you're praying for me too. We just wanted to say we miss playing with you guys on Sunday morning and we can't wait to see you when all this is over. Bye. Say bye. I just wanted to say hi and we miss you and we are praying for you and we pray that you remember during this time that our God is so big so strong and so mighty there's nothing that he cannot do for you and children it's not just those teachers that miss you but it's all of the teachers as well as your pastors we're so grateful for you and we miss you dearly and we look forward to the time when we can be with you again well good morning wherever you might be it might be even afternoon we're grateful that you've joined us And at 3 p.m. today on Sunday, we invite you to come back to the website and link through to a meeting that's being hosted online by your campus pastors. Myself, Pastor Peter, and Pastor Eric are going to be taking questions about anything. That's why we've called it Ask Anything Goes. So come back. Hopefully, it will be some some laughs for all of us. But whether your question is serious or or it has to do with what you think about growing grass, that's something that concerns me, we invite you to come back. Again, we miss you. We hope you enjoy the service today. i yeah. 
teach my song to rise to you When temptation comes my way And when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay So teach So teach my song to rise to you When temptation comes my way And when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and say Lord I need Lord I need you Oh I need you With every hour I need you My one defense My righteousness Oh God Oh God, how I need you You're my one You're my one Defense My righteousness Oh God, how I need you Let's pray Oh God, our need is great And you always provide more than we need. You go above and beyond what we deserve and what even we desire. We know in Ephesians that you tell us that you've blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You didn't just rescue us, you adopted us. You didn't just forgive us, you call us friends. And so we run to your abundant grace and we praise you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, turn in your Bibles or scroll in your Bible app to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be focused on verses 25 and following, but I'm going to go back to verse 19. So Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. And if you're physically able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word? Follow along silently as I read aloud from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. I ain't standing. He can't even see me. All right. You're right. I can't see you. God can see you. Let you take that up with him. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Here's what the word of God says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive... And tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, we're in the middle of a sermon series entitled, Can You Trust God? One that we began a few weeks ago amidst the ever-changing circumstances in our life right now because of the coronavirus pandemic. We've been reflecting on the trustworthiness of God. We've said, can you trust God? Meaning, is God really trustworthy? Let's answer that question from the Word of God. How is He altogether different from me and you, and altogether different from everything we have in this life of ours. And we've looked at the fact that he never, ever changes. Oh, what a source of peace and hope that is for me, knowing that God is constant amidst all the ever-changing things in our society right now. And knowing that he knows everything, but knows all about us, how we work, how we think, how we function. He knows my body and my medical condition better than I ever could hope to. He knows all about us. And even more importantly than that, uh, the backdrop against which all that is placed is the fact that he truly, really does love people like you And like me, he really loves his kids. And that's the cool thing about reading our Bible. We always talk about the importance of reading our Bible, right? How much of it? All of it. We always talk about that, and this is the reason why. When we read our Bibles, we don't read our Bibles to see what God was like. Let's see what God was like. What was he? How did he roll? How did he act? We don't read our Bibles to see what God was like. We read our Bibles to see what God is like. 
And we certainly don't know everything about God, but man, he has made it possible for us to know him very, very well. And oh, what a help that is for us at all times, but especially during these uncertain times. Uncertain times. One of the things that is most concerning about the coronavirus is how little we know about it, right? It's always referred to as the novel coronavirus. It's still very new to us. People are learning more about it, but so much remains to be seen and to be learned about this unique season, this historic season that we find ourselves in. Now, I'm not an expert on the coronavirus at all, but I do know of something more contagious more deadly, and more life-changing, even life-ending, than any other pathogen. In fact, this is something where your pre-existing health could be stunning and it'll still get you. Uh, Your age might be great. You might be in the prime of your life. And you can wear a mask, a gown, a plexiglass shield. You could wear a suit of armor. And it won't matter when it comes to a mental and emotional and spiritual pathogen called worry. Because, friends, worry is infinitely more contagious and deadly than the coronavirus. Worry is infinitely more contagious and way more deadly than the coronavirus. But here's the thing. We don't take worry seriously. We don't. We explain it away. We justify it. We say it's reasonable. We understand it. We don't take worry as seriously as we should. We see it as just a, just a fact of life. It's really not, not that big a deal. Uh, like here, I have a, a glass of water. This is really just a glass of water. Kids, sorry, not going to be changing any colors today. But it's really just a glass. Look, it's, it truly is a glass of water. No, no strings attached. Now, a simple glass of water would never be categorized as something that we really need to be concerned about, Right? That we really need to keep our eye on. Like it's scary or like it uses a weapon. I mean, I can't, what am I going to do? I can wet you with the the contents of the glass. But it's not something we would be scared of. It definitely wouldn't wreak havoc in our lives. It's just a glass of water. And sometimes we have these thoughts. And we say, I'm just thinking about things. I just want to be prepared. I want to know what I can do. I want to look at all my options. And all of that's true when we're biblically concerned like God would have us be when we're acting responsibly, but we can cross that line into worry really fast. Because those thoughts that you have that are responsible and good can take over your mind, can take over your heart, and you move from biblical responsibility to unbiblical, sinful worry, and you may not even realize it. When we start to be thinking about the end of things, thinking about uh, what we can do about things that are out of our control, we start speculating about circumstances getting worse. You ever notice when you speculate, you never speculate to the positive. You always speculate to the negative. You never think, what if everything turns out gloriously? When we say what if, it's usually what if something happens that's terrible? What if something happens that we never saw coming and couldn't prepare ourselves for? But it just starts with thoughts. Just like this glass of water, it's just a glass of water. But this water, in a different form, could really wreak havoc on our lives. And you say, oh, I get it. So water like torrential rain or flooding or a tsunami or a tidal wave, let me reword it. 
this amount of water, not water itself, this amount of water in a different form can wreak havoc on our lives. Just like your thoughts in a slightly different form can wreak havoc on your lives. Did you know that a dense fog, a dense fog, enough to cover seven city blocks, a hundred feet deep, is composed of less than one glass of water composed into 60,000 million droplets. In the right form, this glass of water could wreak havoc on people's lives. Can you imagine a few gallons of water? It could literally cripple a large city through dense fog. It's just water, but it's in a different form. Just like worry, you could say, it's just thoughts. It's just, I'm just thinking about things. But it's in a different form. And those thoughts go from biblically responsible questions to unbiblical, sinful worry, and we don't even know it. I don't think we take worry seriously enough because we just see it as it's just a glass of water in a different form. It's no big deal. Plus, everyone worries, right? Even the youngest, my youngest kids worry. They they have worries. They worry about whether or not there will be enough cookies for them to have seconds, right? No kid does math faster than when a plate of cookies come out and he knows that there's four of us and he only sees seven cookies. It's like, boom, boom, four, two. We can't boil the two. What are we going to do? Like, like instant mathematical geniuses. They can do that. Look, why are you getting a B in math? Anyway, even the youngest kids worry about whether or not there will be enough of cookies or enough fun or if they get to play with the toy. They worry about it. They worry about things being fair. And we as adults, we tend to judge worry based on its substance, right? Based on what you're worried about. You might look at your kids and say, stop, it makes no, you shouldn't worry about cookies. Why are you worrying about the cookies? It's stupid things to worry about. But it's fairly sane to worry about my job, right? Fairly sane, normal to worry about my livelihood, whether or not I'll be able to provide for my family. But friends, this is the thing. Stupid worry and sane worry are both worry and they're sinful. Stupid worry and sane worry alike are both sins. There's no such thing as worry that isn't sinful. No such thing at all. Now, in our text today, uh, if you have a a red-letter Bible that places Jesus' words in red, everything we read as we opened up our time today would have been been in the color red, right? Because it's all Jesus' words. We're finding Jesus in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. In fact, you'll look at the entirety of Matthew chapter 6. It should all be in red if you have a red-letter Bible. Now, you're watching this sermon at home, and hopefully it's making sense so far, but it likely wouldn't make sense if you just tuned in here and now and didn't hear what I had to say up to this point. And if you did, glad you're here. Welcome. Go back a few minutes. I did something amazing with this glass of water. But similarly, just like it wouldn't make sense to tune into the sermon right now, we're catching Jesus in the middle of a sermon, a sermon that started in Matthew chapter 5, a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And so, of course, we can't go back and read the whole sermon in our time today. But that's why I had to start in verse 19. Our text that we're focusing on really starts in verse 25. But I wanted us to look at verse 19. 
So you see, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, uh, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Now, in verses 19 through 24, Jesus is talking about luxury, about amassing for yourself tons of things that show that you are materialistic, that you are focused on the things you can own in this life. And Jesus is saying, uh, don't, don't, don't hoard all these things and stockpile these things for selfish reasons. They're unnecessary items. And quite frankly, you've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. It's all things that can be destroyed. Don't focus on these materialistic things. Verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now skip down to verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Right? He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, do not be anxious about your life. We say it before, we've said it before, I'll say it again. Whenever there's a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. And we see therefore in verse 25, which looks back on the previous verses, which talks about what we're focused on, what we're thinking about, what we're losing sleep over or dominated eye. Again, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we can't serve two masters. Now, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Which brings us to point number one. You need to fight worry because it will always compete with God for your heart. You need to fight worry because worry in and of itself will compete with God for your heart. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You see, here's the point that we have to get. The issue with worry is not the substance of the worry, right? What you're worried about. The issue with worry is the fact that we're worrying. It's the worry itself. The very fact that you're worried, that's what stands between you and and God. And it's true that we can make an idol out of anything, right? So if we're worried about, like in verses 19 through 24, Jesus is talking about uh, stockpiling luxuries. Don't, 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 don't put your treasure here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's not focus on the things of this world. So that thing can become an idol. But honestly, it's not that thing. It's what your mind and heart think of that thing. That's what puts the distance between you and God. It's the fact that it's dominating your heart, it's dominating your mind, and it's dominating all of your faculties, and you're thinking about whatever that is. In verses 19 through 24, it's luxurious items. But Jesus changes gears just a little bit in verse 25, but he's still driving the same vehicle. So in verse 25 and following, he's talking about necessary items that we have for our lives, right? Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on. Well, that's different. You would think, wait a minute. I get don't be, don't be so focused on the things of this world that it dominates my mind. But now Jesus switches gears and he says, don't even be anxious about the things that we actually need to live. He switches gears, but he doesn't switch vehicles. Why can we not be anxious about these things? It's in the end of verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
you cannot serve God and fill in the blank. Fill in the blank with whatever you're worried about. The context in verses 19 through 24 is money. So Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. But here's the thing, folks. You can't serve God and anything because you'll either love one and hate the other. Nobody can serve two masters. And that's the context we find ourselves in as we open up our Bibles and look at the text from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and following. The issue isn't the things. It's our heart and our mind about the things because nobody can serve two masters. In verse 24, the two masters are God and money. But if you're worried about food, the two masters can be God and food. If you're worried about clothing, the two masters are God and clothing. If you're worried about your job or your retirement or your house or anything, the two masters are God and that thing. And you're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. Therefore, Jesus says, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life. Now, you've likely shown no symptoms of the coronavirus. And for that, I'm very, very grateful. Seriously grateful. We need to be grateful to God for our health, for the condition of our bodies right now. Every good gift comes from above, and that's from the Lord. So we give him the glory for that. I've shown no symptoms of the coronavirus. But as far-reaching as the pandemic truly is, you need to know that those of us who haven't shown any symptoms are still in the, in the majority by a landslide. Most people haven't shown symptoms of the coronavirus. But worry is everywhere. And it's highly contagious. And it's a silent killer that I don't think we're taking seriously enough. Friends, nobody worries to life. They worry themselves to what? To to death. And so you might have not shown any symptoms of the coronavirus. But let me ask you this question. Have you shown symptoms of worry? Have you shown symptoms of being anxious? Have others that you know shown symptoms of being anxious? Can you see how contagious it truly is? Someone you know that usually has a good pulse on things tells you something and then you start to worry about that. See how it's contagious? Somebody's worrying about something and they're worrying about it with you and you thought, wow, they really rarely worry and since they're worried, now I'm really worried. It's very, very, very contagious. And it's deadly. And it takes our minds off of the things of God and puts a distance between us because no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and whatever you're worried about. So what about you? If you were to take verse 24 and apply it to your own life right now, just the the last few words where it says you cannot serve God and money, what's on your mind and heart and how would you fill in that blank? Take out money. Maybe it's not money. You cannot serve God and what? What is the Lord calling to your mind right now that he would like you to remember? Hey, you can't be obsessed with me and that thing. And I want all of your heart. I want all of your affections. I want all of your mind because you can't serve two masters. 
And so Jesus masterfully changes gears in verse 25 from luxuries to necessities and says, don't be anxious, which brings us to point number two. You need to fight worry because God is a good father who loves you and always provides for you. Pick it up in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They neither sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. See, worry is a sign that we've forgotten God's consistent goodness to us as his kids. He's a good father and he's always providing everything we need. There's a few things I want to call to our attention in verse 26. First of all, uh, when it comes to birds, Jesus isn't implying that they do nothing to feed themselves. That's not what he says there. Uh, Like many of you, I've been working from home for the last several weeks. If you follow me on social media, you've seen me tell you that I'm actually working from my daughter's bedroom. Thank you, Emma. Love you, baby. Appreciate you lending me your room. Uh, It's just where it works out best for how our house is laid out, what the kids need, what I need. So that's where I've been setting up shop and working from every day. And her window looks out onto the backyard. It's actually a pretty view. Uh, If you've been to my office at Fort Thomas, you know I have a glorious view out my window of not one but two dumpsters. And so right now I have a view of the trees in our backyard It's been kind of cool. I've been seeing them start out from just branches and now they're budding and you can see that change each and every day. And I see birds. I see birds flying all over the place. They're not sitting back going, we don't got to do nothing. Matthew chapter six. Am I right? That's not what they're doing. They are busy, busy, busy. And they're flying. They've got things in their mouth. They building nests, I assume, bringing back food for their loved ones. I don't know, but they really are busy back and forth, back and forth all the time. They're chirping with each other, hanging out. They're not social distancing at all, by the way. Didn't get that memo, the birds. But they're flying around. They're getting things done. They spend most of the day, though, looking for the meals of the day. Now, I haven't seen a lot of birds' nests, but I've seen a few. I can see one from uh, my window in my daughter's bedroom. But I've never seen a bird's nest with, like, a deep freezer, right? They they, they gather until they have enough to meet the need. But they're not saying, ooh, I got a good deal on this. Let me take nine things. Let me store this up. Let me make sure I keep this. They don't stockpile. They're not hoarding toilet paper. They do what they need to do for now. Why? Look at verse 26. Your heavenly father feeds them. That's why. Let me call your attention to that word, your. He doesn't say their heavenly father feeds them. Your heavenly father feeds them. And that's important. See, if my kids have friends over and it's, it's time to eat, we feed them. But we don't feed them at the expense of our kids. Right? I'm not I'm not my kid's friend's father. They're not my kids. I'm my kid's father. So if I'm going to feed the kids that aren't mine, I'm definitely going to feed the kids that are mine, right? It's, It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. So in verse 26, it doesn't say their heavenly father feeds them. Birds don't have a heavenly father. They're created by God, but they're not created in the image of God like like you and like me. Much less recreated, born again in the image of Christ. No bird was ever promised to be with King Jesus for eternity. No bird has a place prepared for them in heaven, right? Jesus never said, in my father's house, there are many nests. He he doesn't say that. Behold, I go and prepare a birdhouse for you. That's not what Jesus says, none of that. But he still feeds the birds. 
And so it begs the question, if God provides for the birds who have none of those promises, won't he take care of his children who have been given all of those promises? It's a rhetorical question to remind us, oh yes, of course he will. Are you not of more value than they? In the book of Job, Job and God are having a conversation. It's not really a dialogue. It's more of a monologue, right? Where God is reminding Job of who he is and who Job is. He asks him a series of rhetorical questions, sarcastic even, to make a point. One of them that he asks in Job 38 and verse 41, he says, Hey, who provides for the raven its prey? When its young ones cried to God for help and wander about for lack of food. The rhetorical answer to that question is God. God provides for their needs. Uh, David the psalmist in, verse 30, in chapter 37 verse 25 says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. He's a good, good father. And if he provides for, for birds, for created creatures, but for things that were not created in his image. Uh, in verse 30, he says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, and we can't talk about the grass because I've taken up too much time talking about birds, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then he says, look, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. See, worrying about the things we need to survive is sinful, and it shows that we have little faith. Jesus uses the phrase, oh, you of little faith, five times in the Gospels. Five times. And friends... Every time he's talking to people who are worried. And every time, do you know what they're worried about? Food, clothing, or their very lives. All the time. Uh, In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12 and verse 28, it's Luke's recording of this same sermon. Matthew, chapter 8 and verse 26, there's a storm in a boat and Jesus is in the boat and his that the people who are in the boat look to him and they're, they're worried and they're scared. You can understand that. There's a storm. They don't want to die. Jesus is sleeping. Jesus wakes up and says, oh, you of little faith. They're worried about their lives. Matthew chapter 14, verse 31. Peter is walking on water towards Jesus Christ himself who is standing on the water. And he is worried and he starts to sink. What does Jesus say? He doesn't say, oh, Peter, I understand. You're worried. Who wouldn't be worried right now? No, he looks to Peter. He says, oh, you of little faith. He's worried about his very life. And finally, two chapters later, Matthew 16 and verse 8, the disciples are worried because they have no bread. And Jesus reminds them. He's like, have you not seen what I, I, I've gave bread to thousands just like that. Oh, you of little faith. Because they're worried about food. All five times Jesus uses that phrase in the Gospels. It's because people are worried. And they're worried about life's necessities. And so worried about being worried about our necessities of life. 
It might be understandable to us, but it really shouldn't be. It might be acceptable to us, but it really shouldn't be. Because we need to see worry for what it is. It might have started out as just innocent thoughts, but it transforms into another form when we start to take our eyes off God and we focus on the thing itself. And it takes over our lives and wreaks havoc. We remember what the the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. And my God will supply, not some, but every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And finally, point number three. You need to fight worry because it makes us look just like the rest of the unbelieving world. Worry puts puts us on a level playing field with those who are not believers. They worry just as much as we do. And it shouldn't be. Look at Matthew 6, verse 31 and following. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things will be added to you. Listen to me. I don't think the coronavirus is going to bring massive amounts of people to Jesus. Don't mean to be a downer. I just don't think the coronavirus will bring about a massive revival. I don't didn't happen with the Spanish flu. It didn't happen with any of the wars that were fought in the 20th century, and there were plenty. It didn't happen after 9-11. I don't think it's going to happen after COVID-19. And here's why. Two reasons. Number one, that's not how people roll. And number two, that's not how the gospel works. First, that's not how people roll. When people see airplanes flying into buildings and massive fire and explosion and buildings collapsing that they never thought would collapse. Their first thought is not, I need to run to Jesus. Their first thought is, I need to run to safety. When people see airplanes flying into buildings, they don't run to Jesus. They run for shelter. When people see the number of people infected with the coronavirus, people quarantine inside their homes or run to a hospital or wear masks. They don't see, oh my gosh, look at what COVID-19 is doing throughout the world. I now believe that Jesus died for my sins. That's not a thing. People don't make that type of connection. That's not how people roll. And more importantly, quite frankly, that's not how the gospel works. You and me who are saved, if you're a Christian like me, we are always on mission. We should always be doing what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, seeking first the kingdom of God. And our circumstances may change. Our circumstances have changed. But friends, the mission has not. Don't think for a moment that now we get to sit back and relax and watch the coronavirus do its work and bring people to Jesus. That's not going to happen. The circumstances have changed, but our mission has not. While I don't think pandemics and disasters bring people to Jesus, do you know what they do? They may not bring tons of people to Jesus, but here's what they do. Natural disasters, pandemics, terrorist attacks, they bring people to people. People like you and like me. 
And here's what I mean. When something like what we're seeing is happening going on in our world, here's the thing. You can have a conversation with just about anyone at any time. Why? Because you're all thinking about the same thing to one degree or another. Here's what I mean. I remember back after 9-11, you could be walking down a New York City street. Uh, Typically, you know, you're just walking, trying to, I walk really fast. Most people walk really fast. They're getting to where they need to go, never making eye contact with people ever. But now, because of what has just happened, people would look at each other and say this. This is what evangelism looked like after 9-11. You ready? Saying this. Crazy, huh? That's it. And then the person who heard that would go, yeah, tell me about it. And then I would look back at them and say, oh, where were you? And they'd say, oh, I was at my brother's house in Brooklyn. I could literally hear the planes crashing into the buildings. It was crazy. And then I have an opportunity to either keep walking and say, yeah, wow, crazy times. Keep walking or pivot the conversation towards something, anything God-centered, anything remotely Christ-centered, and just plant a seed of truth where I'm looking for an opportunity to say, yeah, if God wasn't in control, I don't know what I would be doing. And you say, that's not the gospel. No, it's not. It's planting a seed, just planting a seed, taking an opportunity to take a conversation that would ordinarily just be worrisome or looking back on how crazy things are and just pivoting it slightly towards God. And so it's the same thing. I'm in Costco the other day, okay, and I have a mask on and someone else has a mask on. We're standing there with our carts with our masks. Everyone's kind of looking at each other because it's a little awkward. Why? Because we're standing in Costco wearing masks. I looked at someone and I said, this is crazy, isn't it? And he was like, yeah, tell me about it. And we're walking literally by each other. In, so we've not stopped moving. We're walking by each other in an aisle in Costco. And I look at him and I say, what would have happened if I told you a year ago you'd be wearing a mask in Costco? He said, I would have said, you're a bleeping moron. <laughs> and he laughed. And I said, yeah. And I said, I don't know what's going on, but I'm really glad God does. If I didn't know that, I would be done. And he said something and he kept walking. Taking an opportunity to turn a conversation just a little bit Godward. And you say, okay, great. Pandemics and disasters bring people to people and there's an opportunity. What does this have to do with worry? This is what it has to do with worry. Watch. You'll never see those opportunities if you're worried. You'll never take advantage of those opportunities if you're worried. Why? Because you can't be worried and at the same time seek first the kingdom of God. Because when we're worried, we're not seeking the kingdom of God. We're seeking the kingdom of self. That's why. And so that's what this has to do with worry. You won't be seeking first the kingdom of God if you're seeking first whatever you're worried about. If you're standing in Costco and you're, and you're worried, st- sick about being sick, and you're looking at other people and wondering, are they sick, are they sick, are they sick? You're not going to be looking at other people for opportunities to talk to them because you can't get off your mind, am I going to get sick? 
If you're worried to death about your portfolio or your retirement or your bank account or whatever, and you're constantly on your phone as you're in Costco or wherever you are, constantly checking a stock ticker of some type, you're not seeking first the kingdom of God. You are consumed with the kingdom of this world, consumed with the kingdom of self, and you're not going to see these opportunities to be on mission for the glory of God, to seek first the kingdom of God, even in these circumstances which are constantly changing, but the mission has not. Why should you fight worry? Because worry creates a distance between us and God. It doesn't matter what you're worried about. The worry itself creates a distance between me and God. Because God has been a good, good father providing for his children And because worry causes us to look more like the world than it does like Jesus. And we won't be on mission for him. And God's called us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things, verse 33, will be added to you. What about you? What are you mastered by other than Jesus Christ in your mind and in your heart? And how is it impacting your ability to be a witness to a neighbor, to have a conversation with somebody and turn it just a little bit Godward, to tell somebody that if God wasn't in control, you don't know what kind of peace you would have. To tell somebody that you're so glad that Jesus is still ruling and reigning. Or Jesus, you're so glad Jesus is on the throne because that's something that will never change. Because this is the thing. Our facilities are closed. But friends, the church building is just that. It's just a building. You and me, we are the church. The church pre-existed church buildings, and right now the church exists outside of our facilities. Although we would love to come together, although we'd love to worship, we would love to see one another, the church isn't closed. The church has just left the building. And so long as the church has left the building, that does not mean that the mission has stopped. It just means that we need to adjust our tasks, our abilities, the things that we typically do, so that we can still be on mission for the glory of God. Not worried like the world, but going into the world, looking at the world and the opportunities that we have to talk to other people and showing them the love that we have for Christ and the love God has for us. Because the church is not closed, the building is, and the church has left the building. Let's not let worry prevent us from seeking first the kingdom of God. Father in heaven, we come to you and we remember that all of these things, the circumstances that are going on in our life right now that we don't know about, uh, that are confusing us, the things that are always changing, the different announcements that we're hearing from government officials, the people that we're so concerned about, about their health. Lord, help us to be concerned, to go to you in prayer, but to not be anxious to not be anxious about our lives, to not be anxious about the lives of other people, but instead to seek first your kingdom, that we would be known as people who did well, not perfectly, but did well in this season of life. And we would look back upon this time saying, look what God has done. 
And we pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to do that through us for your glory and for your kingdom's sake. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. That's our God. Let's behold him. Let's trust him this week.